So hey guys, welcome back, and today we have another one. Yeah, we have another one. I say that every time because I just love bringing these podcasts to you. And what's so funny is um, I'll do the podcast, and then I'll get notes from people saying, who's next? Like they can't wait to see who's next. Uh, and today is Elliot West. Uh, he's written a book called The Continental Reckoning. Uh, I'll, I'll give more about the book here in a minute, but it's a, The Continental Reckoning by Elliot West. There's more to it. The, what is it? The, I can't even read that. What is the title of your book again? Let me get this down. The American, the American West in the Age of Expansion. There you go. For some reason on my picture, the minute I open it up, it comes a giant blurry mess. There you go. And uh, so we have Elliot West on the phone, and we're going to be talking to him and about his books and his writing style and his history. But before we do so, we always have to thank uh, Mark and Eric Wright over at Tombstone Epitaph, one of Arizona's longest-running newspapers. You can find them at tombstoneepitaph.com. Uh, please, please, please subscribe uh, and get the epitaph delivered right to your door. I guarantee you, you will not be uh, unhappy or dissatisfied with it. Um, I love it. I can't wait for it to come out. And when it does, and my wife calls and says, well, the epitaph is waiting for you. I cannot wait to get home from work and read the epitaph. I also want to thank my second family at the Wild West History Association. It's our second family. I found out Elliot is a member of the WWHA. Uh, if he wasn't a member, I would have probably hung up on him and moved on to somebody more important. But uh, I, that's just, I'm, I'm just kidding, Elliot. Don't hang up. Um, but our second family at the WWHA, uh, I urge you to join. It's about 75 bucks a year. It gets you the journal four times a year and gets all sorts of amazing stuff. And uh, the Roundup that we just had in San Antonio, Texas was fantastic. And now Roundup 2024 is going to be in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And we can't wait. So make plans now uh, by going to wildwildhistory.org. Uh, start making plans for the Roundup and join and become a member because I'd love to see you there. So this book came to me through uh, some articles that I had read. And I thought, gosh, you know what? I... It looks like a person that's got a ton of knowledge and uh, has written a fantastic book. And I got the synopsis and I got a hold of him. And then uh, I want to thank uh, Rosemary Sakura. Is that how you say her last name? Rosemary Sakura? I want to thank Rosemary Sakura. Uh, she helped me uh, put this together. I think so she's at your, your press, right? At UNP Press? Oh, that's right. University of Nebraska Press. Yeah. yeah. And so I want to thank her because she's very, very kind and helped me with uh, getting uh, Elliot on the phone and many others. So, Rosemary, huge thanks to you. I appreciate you very, very much. Um, so, welcome, Elliot. How are you, sir? I'm great, Mike. How are you? I appreciate you taking time to, uh, to have a talk, and I'm looking forward to it. Well, you're, you're an accomplished person. Um, you have... Continental Reckoning, like we said, uh, that's out there. Uh, the Contested Plains, uh, Indians, Gold Seekers, and the Rush to Colorado. You also have, I don't think that's you, that's not you. Uh, the, I'm going to say this wrong. The Last Indian War, the Nez Pierce? Purse. Purse. Like, like, a, like, a, like a purse, yeah. Okay, that's why I went to you, because you're the man who knows everything. Um Trails? No, that's not you. Um, what else have you done? 
Oh, the well, saloon? I've got a few other books. The Saloon on the Rocky? I'm sorry. Saloon on the Rocky Mountain Mining Front. That was my first book. That was way back in, I think, 79. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm going to have a book called Growing Up with the Country, uh, which is a which is a study of children and childhood <clears throat> on the American frontier. What was it like, you know, growing up, growing up on the frontier and growing up out west? Uh, uh, then a uh, book called... Uh, uh, you mentioned the contested plains. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, a book called The Essential West, which is a collection of essays. Oh, um, that one. And then, um, oh, a book called Growing Up in 20th Century America. Now, that's not about Western history. That's just about children and childhood in the 20th century generally. I'm so fascinated with that particular topic, so I, I wrote a book on that as well. You have a... Uh, I'm going to pull some sources from... Uh, some information from different sources, but, and I know you've spoken about this a million times, but you haven't shared it with me, and that's all that matters. <laughs> um, it, it said that you grew up in a family of journalists. Your father was an editor for the Dallas Morning News, and your brother was a travel writer. Can you tell uh -huh. me a little bit about your family and growing up with writers, and, and it kind of funny about how you got into the Wild West when you went to get a job someplace? Like, how did you become yeah. Elliot West? Well, you know, uh, first of all, you're right. Uh, I, I grew up in a newspaper family. Uh, my dad uh, was the editorial director, and that's sort of the you know, editor of the editorial page of the Dallas Morning News, which is uh, the largest newspaper in Dallas and the second largest in the, in the state, I believe. Uh, really, kind of a statewide paper. It's, it's one that shows up uh, all over the all over the state. So, uh, and he was a very fine writer, a great editor. Uh, my older brother Richard uh, caught the bug. <laughs> he uh, he uh, uh, he became a uh, a writer himself. Uh, primarily a travel writer. Later, he's now retired, but he he wrote for Texas Monthly. He won the Columbia Journalism Award, which is the top award in in, in that area. Uh, worked for uh, wrote for Newsweek, um, and then became uh, a travel writer, and did that very successfully for many years. Uh, as I said, he, he's not, he's now retired. So yeah, uh, we grew up in a, in a family of writers, uh, and um, and I had figured that I was going to go into the business as well. Uh, I was going to be a, a journalist or a newspaper man, as we call him back then. Uh, and I majored in journalism. Uh, at the University of Texas at Austin, very uh, very good journalism school there. Uh, but along the way, I became uh, really really interested in history. I always was. Uh, we grew up. Uh, our family, uh, you know, uh, loved to read about and talk about history. So there was sort of in the in the genes. Um, and when I was a freshman, uh, I took a world history course that just just really hit me. I just uh, realized I just I really loved it. And I ended up taking uh, probably more hours in history than I did in journalism to get my to get my degree. But still I was I was planning on going into the into the newspaper business. And on a lark, absolutely on a lark, I applied to graduate school at the University of Colorado. Uh, what you need to know is that if you live in in Texas and if you have enough money to, you know, to rub two coins together, you try to run away to Colorado in the summer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's so damn hot. Uh, so, and every summer we would go up to Colorado, um, me and my brothers, uh, especially to a little mining town called Georgetown, Colorado. So, so I grew to love the state um, and really fell in love with it. 
And um, so, you know, I thought, well, you know, um, I love history and I love Colorado. Mm. So why not apply to graduate school in history at the University of Colorado? <laughs> they made perfect sense to me. So uh, just on a whim, I, I uh, sent an application. And uh, to my uh, astonishment, uh, I got this offer of a fabulous uh, fellowship, graduate fellowship uh, in Boulder. Um, Three-year fellowship, all you know, all tuition fees paid. They paid you a monthly stipend. It was, it was amazing, really. Uh, and I, to be honest, Mike, I have no idea why they offered that to me, uh, but but they did. And so I thought, well, you know, what the hell? No, I'll do that. So I went up to took that offer, uh, accepted the fellowship, uh, and then moved my family up to Boulder. Uh, and the first day on campus, I went into the History chairs uh, introduced myself, uh, and he he said, "Well, what are you, you going to study?" I said, um, "History." <laughs> he said, "No, no, no! You got you got to specialize. You got to you, know, mm-hmm. you got to choose some some, some topic in, in some area in American in, in, American, in American history to study." And I said, "Oh, oh, okay. Um, uh, well, I really, I, I really, I really like the old South." You know, antebellum South. Uh, and there's this long pause, and he said, uh, "We don't do the old South. <laughs> there's, no, there's nobody, nobody here that teaches the old South." Uh, oh, uh, I said, well, uh, "What do you do?" Uh, he says, "Well, we got we got a, a good program in the American West." I said, "Oh, okay, I'll, I'll do that." So, <laughs> so uh, completely by chance. First of all, applying for this. Graduate, graduate position in the first place and getting accepted, uh, and then and then just happening happening to uh, uh, end up in this place in Boulder and finding out that that's what they did. The West, I say, I'll do that, and so I've been I've been doing that for fifty years, for more than fifty years now, and loving it. But you, so you ac- went- accidental. The, the point the point is just accidental, serendipitous, whatever you want to call it, chance, good chance. Because you you did more than that. Because, yes, you were at the University of Colorado, but you got a master's, you received an undergraduate degree in journalism at University of Texas at Austin. Right. Um, It says that you became a faculty member at the University of Arkansas in 1979, where you are an alumni distinguished professor of history. Right. So you continued, and, and here you are today writing books, not sitting back in your prime, you're still working on Western history and writing. Yep. Yep. Well, it's, uh, it's pretty much addictive when you think about it. <laughs> I love it. I love the topic. I love, I love the West itself. Uh, along the way, you know, doing my research, I've, I've traveled all over the West and just, uh, just really, really love it. Um, so it's, uh, sure. It's hard to stop. It's kind of like riding a bicycle, you know, if you stop, you fall over. So, right. um, and I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Although I, have, I did retire. I, I've been retired now uh, a year ago, January. Uh, this book, Continental Reckoning, was a big project. I worked on that more than 20 years. Uh, I'm honestly not sure whether I've got another book in me. Uh, but I, I sure uh, intend to continue researching and writing articles and essays and so forth. Well, I, I read an article, and I'm going to give the article, the person who did the article, huge kudos. His name is, his name is Albert Laskin. Um, 
Uh-huh. He wrote yep. a, an article, an interview called A Conversation with Historian Elliot West. Uh-huh. And I don't know if you remember the article or the interview. Yeah, sort of, yeah. So in, in it, he asked you a question, and it's surprising to me. He, he asked you, who is your favorite writer? And you said Stephen King. Is that still true today? Is Stephen King still your favorite writer? Well, I was being a little flip. I, I love Stephen King. He's a, he's a fine writer, I think, a very uh, underestimated uh, writer. And I love uh, scary books. I love horror books like that. And he's, you know, he's the master. So, yeah. But, uh, no, I've got, I've got several, several favorite writers, some in history, of course, um, uh, but just a lot of them uh, generally. Uh, if I, I, I guess if I had to say uh, to name a favorite writer, period, in any genre, uh, it might be Margaret Atwood. I don't know if you know her work. She's a uh, mm-hmm. brilliant uh, novelist, essayist, uh, poet. That was Canada. Uh, and she, she's the one who wrote A Handmaid's Tale, you know, the, the one that's now a big TV series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, love her, I love her work. But, you know, gosh, there's so, Mike, there's so, so many fine writers out there. I mean, it's hard to, uh, it's like, you know, trying to name your favorite child or something, you know. No, I got you. <laughs> well, you, you love them all. It's a it's a it's a question because I thought it was so weird that it's in there and yeah. you wrote Stephen King and I'm like hmm that's interesting because it it said that you like the fact that he he includes lots of details in his writing and my guess yeah. is that you're the same way with lots of details and the attention to detail yeah yeah that's right he, you also mentioned something and I'll and I'll read it it's probably changed but he asked you about your writing style. Mm-hmm. And you wrote, you said, this is, I'm not going to completely paraphrase you, but you wrote that all journalists can beat the hell out of a typewriter just like Jerry Lee Lewis can beat the hell out of a piano. <laughs> now, the reason, yeah, that's right. the reason I think that's funny is because the article was written in a time when we were transitioning from typewriters into computers. And you said you use a computer for today's writing and that you try to write... 500 words per day, which is a lot for a writer. Are you still, do you still put that much pressure on yourself to do 500 words a day? Or is your writing style taking longer as you've gotten older? Well, it's a, that's a goal. I can't say that I do it every day, every day that, you know, that I commit to writing. Um, But I usually try to, try to do that. Uh, 500 words nowadays is about, uh, Little under two two pages, you know, so that's a. But I write. Uh, in fact, I write very very slowly. You know, it takes me hours to write to, to, that five hundred words. And uh, the, the thing about uh, thing about me as a writer is I write and then I rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite. And, rewrite and um, so it takes it's a slow. It's a slow process. You know, I never I never begin writing without going back and reading uh, the two or three pages before before what I'm about to write about. Uh, it gives you a sense of flow and momentum, uh, you know, where the, where the story's going. Uh, but, uh, you know, journalism is an excellent uh, training uh, for writers. Uh, what they stress above all, this is what our father stressed to my brothers uh, and me all along, is uh, go for a sort of a conversational style. Uh, it's as if, uh, you know, it's as if you're having a uh, having a conversation, you know, with a, with an intelligent, reasonably well-read person, uh, 
and try to make it as simple as possible, but as clear as possible, uh, and use examples to illustrate the points you're making. Uh, that's what I that's what I try to do. So if you're wanting to know who we're talking to, uh, we're talking to Elliot West. Um, you can find his books on Amazon. Make sure that you spell it correctly. And it's E-L-L-I-O-T-T. There's two T's. West. Elliot West. And go on Amazon. You can find his books there or booksellers near you. Uh, you get them. And if you're in Europe or Australia or places like that where shipping is expensive, I urge you to go on Amazon and purchase it. If you're wanting to know more about this article that I read, it's a, it's a really good article and a very good interview by, by Albert Laskin. Uh, you can find it at ushistoryscene.com. That's U.S. History Scene, S-C. Ene.com. Really a great article, and I urge you to read it. Um, it's a good insight on Elliot and what, in his early days of writing. I've asked many historians this question, and I'm going to ask you as well, and that is your research. Do you research differently now that we have computers and almost everything is on the computer? Or are you old school where you pack up your car and off you go to research in the dusty basements of records, halls, and county records, and places like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, both, of course. Uh, these, these new possibilities uh, with the internet are really are really quite amazing. Uh, you know, I find myself being um, being torn between being uh, uh, very grateful for my graduate students uh, and being very resentful that I, I didn't have that when I was. <laughs> Uh, years ago when I started, but both. So you can get a lot of stuff, especially, uh, especially rare books. Uh, you know, you don't need to go to the Beinecke Library in Yale or something to find a book. You can get, you can get it online. And that's, that's wonderful. And a lot, of course, also a lot of primary sources. So uh, it's really kind of, uh, almost revolutionary, uh, in the kind of research that we do. But I still love to get on the road, uh, go to archives, uh, you know, Put your put your nose down in it <laughs> and get to work that way, and that's of course what uh, everybody in my generation uh, did uh, for many, many, many years before uh, before we could uh, take advantage uh, of the internet. Uh, I started out, of course, I had no money, um, and so I'd scrape together what I can. I had an old Ford Pinto uh, wagon. Uh, and I would uh, sleep in my car. You know, I would uh, go to some archive and find a KOA campground or something nearby, and, and uh, sleep in the car and eat, you know, peanut butter and bread. <laughs> but, uh, it was great fun. I have uh, enormously uh, happy, satisfying memories of that time as well. And there's nothing. There really is nothing quite like getting getting in a library, getting in an archive, and. Uh, and just feeling the thing, you know, uh, feeling. I remember uh, University of, um, I'm sorry, uh, the uh, Montana State Historical Society. I was I was working with a diary there, Overland Diary. This fellow who was on the what's called the Bozeman Road that went up to the uh, to the to the gold fields, Virginia City in Montana, uh, reading it. And the uh, the Bozeman Road went along uh, this area that was very bloodily contested by the Lakotas and the Cheyennes. And I think Phil's diary, you know, sort of, you know, day by day and talking a little bit about this and that, that. And uh, he mentioned Indians occasionally, you know, being worried about them. And then one day, right in the middle of a, of a, um, 
of an entry, uh, and it just stopped. That was it. Uh, so I went to the archivist um, and said, well, do you, do you want to think about that? He says, yeah. I says, uh, they killed him. <laughs> so, so, so this this fellow was uh, killed by the Indians um, in the middle of his entry, uh, and you're holding his diary. You know, there's, there's nothing quite like things like that, you know, to put you back in that time, you know, to put you back in that experience. And, and hopefully that shows up in your writings. You're able to convey that, uh, you know, that sense of dread and that uh, sense of uh, uh, anything can happen uh, on something like that. So, yeah, I love archives. I love uh, getting down in them. Um, you know, people say historians, you know, they, uh, they spend all their time in, uh, in musty archives. Oh, I'll tell you what, Mike, uh, I love musty archives. <laughs> The mustier the better for me. So both okay. to answer your questions. I talked to a writer last night, a friend of mine, a good friend, um, who's become a family member, Peter Brand. And uh -huh. Peter, Peter writes uh, history novels about many times the unspoken of and tombstone like Johnny Tyler, Texas Jack Vermillion, people yeah. like that. And he, when I told him about your interview, he looked it up and he says, oh, that's a big book. It's, and it's not the, that your book, which is, and if you're wondering who you're talking to, again, this is Elliot West. He's written a book called The Continental Reckoning, The American West and the Age of Expansion, The History of the American West. Uh, it came out in February 1st, 2023. It's on hardcover. Uh, it'll cost you around $37. It's 700 plus pages, so it is a big book. And you said just now that it took you 20 years to write. What What was the reason for writing this book? Was there something, because some researchers will put things aside as they're reaching, researching another book. They'll put little thoughts and notes aside and they'll say, you know, I've got so much, i got a whole other book. Was that it, or was this something you've always wanted to do? Well, uh, first of all, this is part of the History of the American West series that the University of Nebraska is putting out. Uh, it's edited by Richard Edelaine, Dick Edelaine, a very old, very good friend of mine. Uh, so it's part of a series. So uh, as far as the reason for doing it, it's meant, it's meant to to uh, be a history of what I think of as the birth of the American West. Mm -hmm. That is those years between uh, our expansion from the, uh, to the Pacific, uh, 18, 1845 to 1848, um, up until about 1880, when, you can, when we can say the American West, as we picture it, as we think of it, uh, was existed. It, it was. Uh, so about 30 years, a little bit more than 30 years. So uh, the uh, uh, short, simple answer to that is I wrote, I wrote, wrote that book because it was, it was uh, that was the contract. <laughs> it was part of a series, and that's what I was to do. But it really is much more than that. You asked me whether uh, I, uh, this was a result of sort of taking notes when I'm doing other other books. Uh, it's really the other way around. Uh, I say it took me 20, really more than 25 years uh, to do the book, because that included the research uh, and the writing. But, you know, there were, there were other books in the meantime during that period when I would stop working on this book and write another one. Uh, and that's because the more I got into this particular topic, 
this particular research in this particular book, the more I realize, gosh, you know, I don't know the books waiting to be written out there, not on the big topic, not on the huge narrative, uh, you know, but this is part of it. Fascinating. So, so for example, the Nez Perce book, uh, The Last Indian War, uh, that came out of my uh, studying the Pacific Northwest and the Nez Perce people, Native American histories of the Northwest. Um, so I stopped and did that. Uh, stopped and wrote other uh, contested plains. Uh, other, uh, so it's, it's really, uh, you know, other books resulted from this one rather than the other way around. Uh, as far as this book, uh, Mike, as I said, I, uh, I set out to uh, write the story of how the West came into being. The American West, as we think about it, that is roughly the you know the Western one third of the present uh, United States, one third to one half. Um, how it how it was born, it was born, uh, and that's a wonderful story. Of course, uh, I think when most um, most people listening uh, to this uh, think about the old, what they call the old West. You, know, you think of, of events that happened during that time. You think of Indian Wars. You think of mining gold and silver rushes. You think of overland migration. Um, you think of the Transcontinental Railroad. <laughs> you think of uh, you know, all of those topics happened during this particular period. So I wanted to, to, to write about that. Uh, and I also wanted to write about aspects of that, that story that, that are much less known. Uh, that people don't normally associate uh, with the West. So that was a big job. That's a big job of work, you know, to to tell that story uh, as as well as I can. What I increasingly came to understand, however, and this is really uh, what I like to think of as really the uh, the contribution of this book. Um, I became increasingly convinced that the story of the birth of the West is inextricable with the story of the birth of modern America. Uh, all historians agree, you know, something happens in the second half of the 19th century. Uh, something happens that that uh, moves the trajectory of American history uh, onto a course that will take it into the nation that we would know in the 20th and the 21st century that would, that would to shift us toward modern America, uh, an America that's, of course, very, very different uh, from the one that we do before, let's say, 1850 or so. We all agree on that. Everybody agrees on that. Everybody agrees that a key event in that was the American Civil War. You know, that was the uh, sort of the centerpiece of that change. Uh, I became uh, increasingly convinced that uh, – Sure, of course, the Civil War was uh, enormously important. But I became convinced that the, that the emergence of the West, the birth of the West, was as important uh, as the American Civil War in explaining how we came to be the nation we were, uh, we would be uh, in, in the 20th century, in, in the nation we are today. So it's really two stories, Mike, uh, two interrelated stories, a story of the birth of the West the story of the birth of modern America, and most importantly, how those two things fit together. Uh, in the book, I called uh, I called the American West uh, both the uh, child and the midwife <laughs> of modern America. Uh, it was it was a consequence of our shift to modern America, and also was a key uh, part in explaining how that shift happened, explaining how we came to be who we are today. So that's really that became. 
the primary motivation, the primary driving idea behind uh, continental reckoning. So correct me if I'm wrong. I hope you do. <laughs> I do. I love when I say that because then the, the researcher's like, right. oh, crap, what is he going to say? Um, <laughs> how is this, and I may be completely off in my years and my decades, mm-hmm. how is the expansion or the American West in the age of expansion different than the Manifest Destiny? Oh, or, gosh. Or was it? Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Or was it the expansion of the West was after Manifest Destiny? Well, uh, boy, it's hard to hard to know where to start on that. Uh, first wrong? of all, uh, it's, it's very different from Manifest. Okay. Now, Manifest Destiny, of course, is, is an idea. <clears throat> The idea basically is that the United States was destined, ordained to expand to the Pacific Ocean and to dominate that area and to dominate its resources and its peoples. Uh, That was going to happen, uh, whether that was ordained by God or whether it was ordained by history or whether it was ordained by racial superiority. uh, Fates, uh, whatever, you know, it was going to happen. It was our, it was our, it was our destiny. It was going to happen. It was manifest. It was obvious to anyone who, anyone who looked at it. That's what that, that's what that term refers to. Mm-hmm. Now, what that, first of all, there are some obvious problems with that, and it, it, it's, it's based upon these ideas of, uh, you know, uh, white, uh, uh, racial supremacy, racial uh, superiority mm-hmm. of uh, English and Northern European uh, peoples. Um, that's, an obvious problem with it, but more than that, it, it, manifest destiny assumes. Think about it now. It assumes, you know, that once we get that land, and we had it by 1848, uh, that was on. I uh, was at, oh, the map says that's part now of the United States, but of course we're not controlling it. Uh, manifest destiny assumes that that will be the clear next step. That we will just step in, take control, uh, and uh, the, the nation will begin to rise to greatness. Um, nothing could be farther from the truth uh, than that. What our expansion did, the first first impact of that expansion was to nearly tear this nation apart. It nearly destroyed the American Republic. Uh, most obviously, by you know, raising the question of the expansion of uh, African slavery out of what is now the southeast into the west, that became, of course, the key issue that uh, lit the lit the fuse that led to the, led to the Civil War. But beyond that, you know, uh, there were all sorts of these movements out west to separate and become uh, separate republics. Uh, there was, of course, right in the middle of what was now the West, uh, this theocracy, uh, you know, the Deseret, uh, dominated by uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, by the Mormons. They were, in effect, declaring their own independence. There were all kinds of filibustering efforts. That is, people who, who uh, you know, 1848, they said, why stop now? <laughs> Let's take Mexico, right? So uh, Jefferson Davis, who was the Secretary of War uh, in the 1850s, he claimed, I think he's, it's, it's surely an exaggeration, but he said that the majority of, of, of troops in the West, of the U.S. Army, 
uh, were being used to stop people from trying to invade Mexico. You know, so mm-hmm. in other words, it, it led to the first. The book is divided into three sections, and I call the first section "Unsettling America," and that's what expansion did. It it uh, created uh, something very close to chaos and anarchy in parts of the West. It uh, it created uh, uh, these these irreconcilable tensions between the Southeast and the Northeast that led to the Civil War. Uh, it nearly tore this country apart. Uh, so in, in that sense, a manifest destiny, this sense that this is ordained, this is going to happen, that we would take the land, we would dominate it, maybe we'll be, we'll be masters of the whole area, uh, could, not, could not be farther off target. Fair enough. I, yeah. The reason I ask now, that. It is true. Now, it is true, Mike, of course, that we eventually we did come to dominate that area. Right. Uh, we did come uh, to dominate its resources uh, and to impose our own kind of order on it, uh, economic, uh, racial, and ethnic order on it. We did. But that was in no sense ordained. That was the result of other events that came uh, came after 1848, especially during and after the Civil War. When – fair enough. So I, I – the yeah. reason I ask that is, is – as I was listening to you talk and I was reading more into the book, I thought, gosh, I wonder if, if there was a connection between the two because, yeah, sure. and, and I wanted to clarify it because I didn't want somebody to look at the book and say, oh, Manifest Destiny, when it has nothing to do with it. <laughs> it's just the opposite, uh, Mike. No, it's, it's uh, I try to make that point early on of uh, the first section uh, that uh, no. Nothing was ordained. Everything was up for grabs. Uh, it was all uh, highly fluid. That's the key point about after 1848, fluidity, you know, the uh, indetermination of what was going on out there. When you were researching the book and putting it all together, without going and spending another hour, which we don't have, were there things that you found in your research that surprised you? Oh gosh! Oh yeah! <laughs> you know, every month, every week, there was some details. Of course, wonderful stuff. I, I love uh, telling stories, uh, and I try to, I try to find as many uh, stories that are both interesting, uh, amusing, horrifying, uh, but also ones that are revelatory. You know, that, that teach us something. So, uh, gosh, you know. Very often, it'd be, it'd be odd for a for a week uh, to go by without coming across some detail that that, that uh, surprised me. But I think you're asking a larger question: well, uh, Were there larger larger developments out there that, that I didn't expect to find, but did? Uh, sure, there were. Well, what One I'm asking that, uh, for, go ahead. What I'm asking I, for is for you. Now that we know that there were things that you found that surprised you, is there maybe one or two? That in 15 minutes, <laughs> or sure. maybe one, that you can share with the audience that's like, was so crazy, you were like, you stood up at your desk and went, holy cow. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah jump out of your chair and kick the uh, kick your chair over like Jerry Lewis uh, yeah. doing his uh, piano bitch, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, nothing quite, uh, you know, quite as uh, uh, sudden as that. But what, uh, if I had to pick one, uh, one or two, uh, the one I think I would focus, uh, one I would come up with first is uh, the importance of science. Science 
in the American West. Uh, something we, you know, you can read a lot of Western history, Mike, uh, without any sense, the slightest uh, sense, that the American West during these years, the years I'm writing about, uh, was arguably uh, the most active and influential uh, scientific laboratory on planet Earth. This was a period, latter part of the 19th century, when so much was being discovered, being developed, being, uh, being uh, followed uh, in science, Sci- uh, field after field after field after field. Uh, the, the great uh, attention was to geology, uh, but also uh, fields like um, uh, anthropology, uh, fields like uh, epidemiology, uh, fields like meteorology. <laughs> You choose an ology, you know, and, and you will find people out west not just working on it, but doing path-breaking, uh, critically important work. Um, so that's what really came to surprise me, I think, as much as anything. Uh, and it shows up uh, shows up in all of these areas. Uh, it shows up in particular, the ones, some of the ones that fascinated me most were first geology, uh, an understanding of um, both what's called historical and structural geology. Historical, that is, you know, the, the, the history of the earth over billions of years. Structural, that is the study of, uh, of how changes happen, how geological changes happen, the forces, the forces that, that you know, that, that create this story. Um, and it was the West that gave us our basic understandings of both of those areas uh, in geology during that time. Uh, these uh, master scientists, master geologists, uh, John Wesley Powell, one of the most, one of the best known, but many, many others, Grove Carl Gilbert, uh, Clarence Dutton. These were world-class geologists making fundamental breakthroughs and understanding of this field of geology that was uh, that was so hot at the time. And the field of geology was directly related to the field of paleontology, that is the uh, that is the, the study of ancient life, uh, bone hunters, you know, ones who would uh, would uh, fish out fossils uh, out of the earth uh, to uh, to describe this this you know, extraordinary display of life that was there millions of millions of years ago. Uh, now, now, both of those uh, fields, geology and paleontology, were so. Uh, got so much attention because both of them, of course, addressed the most controversial idea of the day. And that was Charles Darwin's ideas of evolution through natural selection. Uh, Darwin said for this to work, for natural selection to work, uh, the earth has to be very, 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 very old. Uh, And the geologist said, well, it was, it is. (laughs) They, they, they They showed us that, you know, the time was there the time there was time uh, for this natural selection uh, uh, to occur. Uh, and uh, the paleontologist uh, said, well, we can go back and we can show you the lives, show you the life that was there before, and we can show you how it evolved. We can uh, put those two things together. Antiquity of the earth uh, and the life forms over the past millions of years and how they, how they have evolved. And, uh, Paleontology uh, was uh, enormously important uh, out west. It was without without competition. It was the place to be if you were hunting bones. Um, and uh, Western paleontologists made um, the two most important uh, discoveries, confirming 
Darwin's ideas of natural selection uh, during that entire period. Uh, and Darwin wrote that. Darwin said that. He said they, the West, you know, was where this happened, was where it went, that, uh, that has, has shown, you know, the evidence uh, for, for, my, for my own theories. Uh, both of them. One of them showed the evolution of the horse, stage by stage by stage by stage, by looking at horse toes and hooves. The other one showed, uh, discovered a, uh, it's called Hesperornis regalis. This is a six foot long ancient aquatic bird that uh, swam around like a penguin uh, in, in these uh, shallow seas that became the Great Plains. Mm-hmm. And this bird had legs, uh, clearly related to reptiles, and teeth. This is a toothed bird. And it showed what Darwin predicted, that is, that birds are related to reptiles, you know, that birds evolve out of dinosaurs. Uh, so uh, this discovery, Hesperornis regalis, which means, as in Latin, uh, the royal bird of the West. <laughs> so, so the royal bird of the West uh, was you know, one of the most important contributions confirming uh, Darwin's ideas of evolution. But you can look in any any of these other fields, and you can see the same sorts of things. The most, one of the most fundamental breakthroughs in epidemiology, the study of disease and how diseases are transmitted from one species to another, uh, was made out of cattle drives, out of uh, solving a problem having to do with dry, uh, longhorns being driven out of Texas up, up to northern markets. It showed for the first time how diseases could be transmitted not directly like from me to you, like um, flu or, or COVID, uh, but rather indirectly through a vector, uh, usually an insect, a, uh, in this case a tick, but also you know mosquitoes and so forth. Uh, open up the discovery, the understanding of malaria, of, uh, of yellow fever, of the plague, of all that stuff. So, again, in area after area after area, uh, the West was the most active scientific laboratory in the world during that time. That's, I didn't know that. There's something about it, but I didn't know it. You know? But uh, it's there, and we need to pay more attention to it. Well, this is your answer is going to drive me to my next question, which is one of my favorite questions based upon the feedback I get from my listeners. And that's a time machine question. Uh Uh-huh. Based upon the book that you've written Uh and the years period (laughs) that your book is based on, if you could get in a time machine Uh and go back to a certain point to see it, not get involved because if you get involved, it'll change history. Right, right. But to right. see it, you only have a few <laughs> minutes, maybe five minutes. Yeah. Where would you go and why? Boy, that's a that's a question that really makes you think, right? <laughs> I, love, I love that question. I had never really thought of it, frankly. Um, gosh. Well, it's based on at least a few of them. But I, if I had to choose one, I, I guess it would be uh, the California Gold Rush, uh, which I became again increasingly convinced was a, a vastly under uh, underestimated, uh, under appreciated event in American history. Uh, I, I start out the book by what I call the great coincidence. That is. Uh, the, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, uh, which gave us uh, the Mexican concession you know, at the end of the Mexican War, which, you know, you live in Phoenix, it gave us Phoenix, right? Um, that, uh, that treaty was signed in uh, a suburb of Mexico City on February the 2nd, 1848. 
on January the 24th, 1848. Nine days. Just about 200 hours. Hours before that treaty was signed, James Marshall uh, discovered gold uh, on the on the American River. Uh, and it turned out to be far and away the richest gold strike in human history up until that time. So virtually at the same moment, uh, we acquire California in the West and we discover that begin to discover that this was the richest place on earth. Uh, those two things together, you know, created this incredible dynamic that would drive this expansion into the West and create all those other problems that I mentioned earlier and nearly destroy the, nearly destroy the nation. So if I guess I had to choose a particular time, it would be 1848, let's say 1852, because I'm also fascinated by the overland trails, overland migration. These families that picked up you know, converted these old farm wagons with oxen <laughs> uh, into uh, in rolling houses uh, and made their way 1,500 to 2,000 miles across uh, from the Missouri River out to uh, California and out to Oregon. I love that story, and I've studied it for 50 years, and I still love reading the diaries of that time. Um, so when so you, uh, I guess uh, – go ahead. When you mentioned that you went um – you wanted to go back to the founding of gold, Sutter's Mill, Sutter's Fort, whatever. Uh-huh, yeah. Would you want to go back to a specific period of when the gold was found? Or would you, because the problem is, you've mentioned a couple of years, you could actually be found, you could change history, you you know, there's yeah, all sorts yeah, of things. Yeah, so yeah. would you right. want to go back just to a certain point to see when I, you went, I, I found I don't gold? Think the, I don't think the, the actual discovery doesn't, Except for the fact that it's such an extraordinary coincidence, that doesn't interest me nearly as much as what happened when, gotcha. uh, when the Forty Nineers and before they remember the Forty Eighters, you know, the Forty Nineers didn't get there until the, till more than a year after the discovery. But between that, uh, people came out from uh, Mexico, from Peru, from Chile, uh, from around the Pacific Rim. <laughs> from Australia, from Tasmania. There were Tasmanians out in the gold fields before there were 49ers, you know. But then the rush, you know, the great rush of 49, uh, the transformations that occurred there, uh, California's, you know, the Pacific Coast basically remade, you know, within a few years. That's what really fascinates me, as well as the overland trails, as well as the people traveling across the plains. Well, if you're wondering who we're talking to, we're speaking to Elliot West. Um, he has a book out called the History of the American West Series, Elliot West, and that's two T's and two L's. So E-L-L-I-O-T-T-W-E-S-T. Um, the book is The Continental Reckon Reckoning, The American West and the Age of Expansion. We only have maybe a few minutes left. The cover of your book is fantastic. Did you Thank have you. any part in the design? Well, did you design it yourself? Barbie? What's that? Uh, I, I'm sorry, I, uh, you broke up a little bit. I didn't hear the didn't hear the full question. The question is: is how involved were you on the cover of your book? Oh gosh, because the book well, cover what, is gorgeous. Uh, yeah, it is a it's a great cover, it, uh, and I cannot take any credit for it at all. Uh, if I have, uh, I have certain. I understand I have, I have certain uh, abilities, but uh, choosing a a cover and choosing a title are not among them. I am terrible, terrible at picking titles. That was not my chosen title for the book. Uh, 
and uh, same thing with uh, same thing with covers. Uh, but uh, good presses and the University of Nebraska Press is an excellent press, excellent press. They have uh, very gifted people who who are much better at this stuff and who, who, who get it, who get it. Uh, and that uh, the cover is, is what's called a bonanza farm. These were these massive industrial uh, farms uh, growing uh, primarily wheat, uh, in this case out on the northern plains of North Dakota. Uh, one of the themes of the book is that the American West led the nation in industrialization, contrary to our usual uh, notion uh, that industrialization was mainly in the East. No, the, the West was uh, as much uh, industrializing as much as thoroughly and as, as rapidly as the West was, and that included farming. These were industrial-level uh, farms. And that, uh, that uh, painting of it, that illustration of it, is a great illustration of that. And but through that, it's, it's an illustration of one of the major themes of the book. The West is modern America. So what were you going to call it? <laughs> that was something really hokey. It was something like, uh, hello. Uh, yeah, it was something like uh, the birth of the West. I don't know. But it didn't, uh, they okay. quite properly said, uh, well, that's part of what you're writing about. But it doesn't say anything about, um, doesn't suggest anything about this larger theme of the, of the, uh, the birth of modern America. So I'm going to squeeze you for time. Okay. Because you and I are going to come to the end, and then I'm going to ask you if you want to come back for more. I'm hoping you'll say yes. Um, okay. I've only had one no, and that's Mark Lee Gardner. And I said, oh, you want to come back for more? And he goes, nope. And I was like, oh, crap. I didn't know what to do. And then he's like, oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to, hard to reply to that. <laughs> he wanted to be the first to say no, and he was. Yeah, yeah okay. Tell me real quick couple minutes few minutes about jack swilling jack swilling oh gosh well um if you're a student of southwestern history arizona history uh and most particularly uh phoenix history uh you'll recognize that name uh john w jack swilling a southerner born in south carolina uh came out west um he was a texas ranger along the way uh, and uh, uh, he fought for the Confederacy in the in the Civil War in this you know one of the very few very small engagements out in the West, in this case in Arizona. Uh, uh, he lost; they lost, and he immediately switched sides. He turned coat, <laughs> became a Union soldier. After that, he became a guide, uh, uh, an Indian scout. Uh, he was involved in the, uh, he was directly involved in the capture of Mangus Colorado's Red Sleeves, the famous Apache, Apache chief. Um, he kind of a nerdy well. Uh, he, um, was injured badly, um, uh, in Texas, uh, and became a morphine addict. Um, he was, uh, kind of a nerdy well, as I said. Uh, he, uh, but he was an interesting guy, and he ended up in Phoenix, what is now Phoenix, uh, to found a, uh, a town. You know, uh, it, there was water there, the Salt River, uh, and he said, "We can, I think, we can develop an agricultural uh, settlement, settlement here." He um, and there were he was it was another fellow, an Englishman, uh, he, with the two folks who were putting together this company to sell lots to sell land, uh, land speculation. Uh, his friend, the story is, uh, his friend wanted to name it Pumpkinville <laughs> because they grew pumpkins there. Uh, Swilling thought, no, that's not a that's not a great that's not a great name. How about Phoenix? 
because phoenix, of course, is a mythical bird that rises up from, from the ashes, comes out of the, you know, gives death into life. And he said, you know, we got these canals here that were built by these ancient, these ancient Indians. We know them now as the Hohokam. The people had these ancient canals. He said, well, we're going to do the same thing now. So it's like we're, we're rising out of the ashes, coming out of the past. So he uh, supposedly named Phoenix. Uh, he later was accused of stage robbery and died in Yuma prison. But the personal point is uh, that Jack Swilling, John W. Jack Swilling, uh, was my great, great, great uncle. So I have a, uh, I have a personal connection to the history of Phoenix uh, and to Western history generally. Fair enough. I love that story. I love that story. Um, <laughs> it's a great story, yeah. So we're talking to Elliot West. Um, again, he's written a book. Uh, the Continental Reckoning, The American West and the Age of Expansion. It's available at bookstores, booksellers, Amazon, anywhere that you buy books. If they don't have it, you can order it or just go to Amazon and have it delivered right to your door. It sells for around $37. Uh, it's about 700 plus pages. Beautiful cover. The, the cover is fantastic. And uh, I'm glad that um, Elliot had no... Uh, say so in the book cover because I it may have been completely different. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, completely different. Um, I do want to thank uh, Rosemary and Rosemary over at um, UNP. She's uh, she's been very helpful over the last year or so with other uh, writers and historians, and that's uh, Rosemary Sakura. Thank you so much for your help. Um, also. Uh, the folks over Tombstone Epitaph, Arizona's longest-running newspaper. Be sure to go to tombstoneepitaph.com. And the WWHA, our second family, at wildwesthistory.org. You can find them everywhere. So go over to Instagram and follow them there. Dave Guyton is doing a great job of bringing content, if you're on Instagram, to the WWHA. And it's just like it sounds, Wild West History Association on Instagram. We have a Facebook page. You can find us there. And YouTube. Go see what Pam... Uh, and Eddie are putting together and a team of folks are putting together for content for our YouTube cha uh, channel. So go over there and get that. Uh, we'd love to have you as a member, 75 bucks a year for journals. We got great stuff going on. We got Roundup going on. I think Elliot's going to go to 2024 because it's real close to the house. Uh, he'll come by with his lawnmower and clean things up. Don't ask me about the lawnmower. It's a, it's a long, another story. But um, I want to thank him a bunch for coming on. And again, you can get that all on Instagram. If you want to find me, you can find me at Cochise County underscore travels. Cochise County underscore travels on Instagram and on Facebook. And you can find the podcast anywhere. iTunes, Spotify, Podbean. Um, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts, please leave a rating and a review. It helps the distribution. Um, and uh, we got a lot more coming up for 2023 if we can get everybody together. So we are, we're going to be busy. And of course, go back to the archives because I've got a ton of podcasts. I got 70, I, I got, I have 70 plus hours of podcasts to listen to. And uh, there's a ton of content out there for you guys to have fun with. And these researchers and writers, if you think they're making tons and tons of money on these books, they're not. Um, they do these for the love of bringing Western history to your door. I've interviewed so many of them that are just fantastic people. 
And uh, they do this for the love of research and the love of history. And they want to bring these books to your door. So please go support them. You can go back through the podcast and find their names. And uh, go on Amazon or a bookseller near you and support them by buying the book. Uh, buy it new. And get it and bring it home and read it over and over again and use it as reference. Um, they've got just, they're wonderful people and I appreciate them a bunch. Anything you want to say before we go? One minute? Anything? I don't think so, except I uh, had a great time, Mike. Thank you so much. Great, wonderful questions. Uh, and I uh, enjoy talking about it. All right. I think you'll come back, right, for another one? I will. Yes, sir. All right. Mark Lee Gardner, you heard it. He said yes. And um, <laughs> I love Mark. I love him. I do. Um, all right, folks. Until next time, uh, we'll see you soon. Safe travels and keep listening and keep reading those history books and go find them at your bookstore and get them and bring them to your home and make them a part of the family because uh, these history writers are doing a great job and they appreciate your support. Until next time, we'll see you soon. <laughs>